In the spring of 2003, an innocent man was arrested for the murder of a trial witness. After remembering he was near the filming of a TV show at a Dodgers game on the night of the killing, his fate would literally be determined by whether or not that camera crew caught him on tape. Oh my god. Wow. And this is Death in Entertainment. Live from Los Angeles. 911, what is your emergency? Here in Hollywood now. Two counts of murder, injury, and death. Oh my god. Shocking new details that has stunned the entertainment world. Um, this makes me a little nervous. The hair stood up on my arms. Just like in the movies. <laughs> what do you call this thing anyway? Death in entertainment. What is going on, everybody? Welcome to one of the first episodes of Death in Entertainment. Could be the first. Could be the second. It We're not going to tell you. Who knows? That's the mystery here. My name is Kyle Plouffe. My name is Mark Mulcairn. And I'm Alejandro Dowling. Uh, we have a great episode today. It all went down in the spring of 2003. What was going on during this time, Kyle? Uh, you tell me, sir. You're in charge of the pop culture flash of the spring and summer of 2003. Oh, I'm so glad you just <laughs> told me that. Um, the, the biggest books going on at this time were The Kite Runner, Harry Potter, and The Da Vinci Code. The biggest movies were The Matrix <laughs> oh, Reloaded. The way you said that, I thought you were going to say, like, Harry Potter and like the Hallows. Oh or yeah, right. Were, like <laughs> Harry Potter and the Da Vinci Code. Well, yeah, they no. should do. I was like, they, damn, that'd be a crazy. They crossover. should do that crossover movie. <laughs> yeah. That's just that's just an FYI. That would be brothers. amazing. Harry Potter. Um, what Harry Potter then, if not the one where he cracks the Da Vinci Code? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Harry Potter versus the Catholic. We Church. don't know. Yeah, it was. It, yeah, it just <laughs> says Harry Potter here. That's all the information yeah. I have. So going into the biggest movies was Matrix Reloaded. Well, that, that might have been the second or that third. Was... No one know. No one cared. Um, so Bruce confusing. Almighty and Finding Nemo were the biggest movies at that time. On the Billboard uh, Top 100, the top three were Get Busy by Sean Paul. Get the Get busy. busy. <laughs> Questions by 50 Cent and Nate Dogg and Ignition by R. Kelly. That was a Ooh, hot one. Yeah, sexy a, spring right by there. By a very weird guy. <laughs> so yeah, at that time, R. Kelly was still allowed on the charts. Uh, yeah. He was yeah. pissing all over everybody at that point. That makes it seem so long ago. Now yeah. he's not allowed near a hundred yards of a school. <laughs> or of Gail King. <laughs> oh, so to get through this story, we first uh, have to find out what happened to a person uh, who was involved with the trial that made this all happen. I know that sounded very confusing, but we're get we're gonna get to it. There was a woman. I have a question. Already. Okay, hit me with it. No, I actually don't. Okay, uh, I just wanted to test the fact <laughs> that if you would respond to him, yeah. if you had a question. All right. So there was a 16 year old girl named Martha Puebla, and she was murdered on the night of May 12, 2003. She was hanging out with friends outside of her home in Sun Valley, California, which is three miles north of where we are right now in North Hollywood, California. So she was just hanging out with her friends outside of her apartment, and um, a man walked up to her and asked, who are you? And she looked at him, and she was like, I'm Martha. You know me. And he said, no, I don't, and pulled out a gun and shot her in the face, killing her instantly. Jesus. Yeah. But who pulled the trigger? That is mm. the million-dollar question. Okay. And you said this was in the evening? Uh, yeah. It was like right at about 10.20 p.m. So the events that led to Martha's killing began five months earlier. And this was also coincidentally right outside of her bedroom window. 
And it was shortly before 2 a.m. on November 27th, 2002. Uh, a girlfriend of Martha's pulled up outside her house, and she was with her boyfriend in her car. Uh, her boyfriend's name was Christian Vargas. He stayed in the car while she went out and went to Martha's bedroom window and was like, hey, you should come out and hang out with us. And right as they started talking, gunshots just started going off everywhere. Uh, the girl jumped in the window, and Martha pulled her in, shut the window. They both laid down. After a few minutes... They went outside to make sure Christian was okay, and he was just covered in blood. Just so many gunshots. They said his body was riddled with bullets. And uh, super upsetting. Like, he was alive, and he was begging them, like, please help me. And as he was, like, pleading with them to call the police or anybody, he actually passed away right there. Brutal. Jesus. So... The two detectives that got put on the case, their names were Martin Pinner and Jose Rodriguez, and they will now be referred to as fucking scumbags. Oh, shit. Really? Yeah. Why they, uh, well, I guess you'll tell us why. Well, Martin Pinner, I don't even know where to start with Just that name sounds like a scumbag. He rolls a pinner. He rolls (laughs) a good small joint for for two people to smoke, but not like big enough. Fucking pinner. This guy could roll a fucking pinner, but not much else. <laughs> so they were like the two guys that were put on the case. They were the homicide detectives for the LAPD based out of North Hollywood, which is right pretty much next to this studio. I could throw a rock at it. Right you now. could I'd get arrested. But... Yeah. <laughs> they started talking to people and after some early interviews, they quickly came to the conclusion that who killed Christian was this dude, Jose Ledesma. Um, he was the one of the head guys of the Vineland Boys. Which, the Vineland Boys. Yes, which is... is uh, that a, it's a gang? It's, it's a gang, and they originated from Vineland Avenue, which is two blocks over here. And it seems weird to me to be like, that's where like they're rolling up outside of Walgreens. Like That's pretty much it's all... Kind of that's their turf. <laughs> it's kind of an unexciting street to name yeah. your gang after. It's very, yeah. Like, like, like where the Lancashire gang. Yeah. <laughs> it's not very threatening. <laughs> Yeah. Well, the South North Hollywood. <laughs> That's the Luca Lake Bloods. <laughs> so these guys, uh, they're a notorious violent gang. Uh, they controlled all the drugs and everything that was happening around Sun Valley all the way down to North Hollywood. They were just bad people. Of course. <laughs> they uh, they the controlled whole... the CVS on Victory. Exactly. That, that was their, yeah. They... Yeah. So the violent boys, they actually broke off from like, there was a whole connected uh, crew of gangs, and in the 80s, they broke off because they didn't want to pay their taxes anymore. So there was this like overarching gang. It was like the Mexican uh, mafia is pretty much what they called it. They and needed... taxes mean like they're not they're not filing taxes as <laughs> yeah. an organization. Yeah, they're not putting like 1099s. Or like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, like a nonprofit. You get your W-2s in, kid? <laughs> no, they, uh, they had to pay taxes to this overarching Mexican mafia because they would get protection from people while they were in prison. Mm. Or on the street. So if they were, you know, ever under suspicion of anything, like they could go kill witnesses or if they actually ended up in prison, they could protect them while they were inside. Gotcha. Blah, blah, blah. The uh, the detectives were like, oh, it's this dude, Jose Ledesma. He's the head of the Vineland Boys. Uh, he's a bad guy. We're going to go to his house. They went to his house. They searched his home. Under his mattress, they found a loaded assault rifle and letters from the Vineland Boys who were uh, most of them were in prison. So he was getting a lot of handwritten letters. Very romantic. Signed, The Violin Boy. <laughs> Boy. Were any of those letters released? Uh, as far as I know, they were not. <laughs> I'd love to see what they were My pen about. <laughs> <laughs> They're very profound, talking about life and death. Yeah. 
Institutional mostly death. Yeah, sure. Living is not what you think. <laughs> right. <laughs> mostly violent death. Yeah. yeah. Um, so Ledesma, he wasn't home, and the detectives were told that he was hanging out with another Violent Boys member, Mario Catalan. Mario is the older brother of someone we'll talk about later. Oh, okay. So after hearing that the, the police were at his house, Ledesma freaked out, and he was like, we got to get out of here. So him and Mario both jumped in his car with Mario's girlfriend, and they sped to Tijuana. And two days later, the Mexican police called the LAPD because Mario's girlfriend was having a domestic dispute with Mario at a resort in Tijuana. So they're not, they're supposed to be laying low, and they're not laying low. And they're drunk, arguing in public. Yeah. So someone in Mexico was like, hey, they're beating the crap out of each other. Got to call in this domestic. The Mexican police show up, and they're like, hey, what's going on? And she immediately tells them, like, these guys are on the run. They killed somebody oh, shit. two days ago. <laughs> <laughs> really? Yeah. I mean, if you're going to be dating a girl and be in a violent gang, you really have to like you should talk about those things yeah, yeah are you gonna be my bomb that should be the conversation when they like make it exclusive yeah like are you gonna start screaming at like uh, right. giving me up yeah. if anything <laughs> happens in a in a distant uh, city i mean that's what exactly what uh 50 cent did the number four song in the 2003 charts oh <laughs> or the number two song it's the 21 questions he's asking this girl like would yeah. you would you be by my side would, would you, you be down to ride? Would you scream that I'm a fugitive when we're in a resort? <laughs> I think that was that was one of them. That is one of the quotes yeah. for sure. That was twenty. That was the twenty second question. Yeah. I think. Ironically, they were blasting that song mm. on the way to Tijuana. Yeah. Hey. Not even understanding the lyrics. The irony. My question was: um, Did they already have like a? They knew that they were persons of interest, or did this girl just give it up and verbatim just gave people what they needed for that for that to happen? They just knew that the police went to Ledesma's house and that they were searching it. And so he was already like, we're fucked. So we got to get out of here. So yeah, they all three of them knew that they were under suspicion. Because there's some, you know, coordination efforts that the Mexican and LA police and stuff they all have with each other. So if there's a person of interest, like they'll they'll, you know, give each other information. Yeah. Sometimes, and who knows if it's like cartel or maybe that's what the Mexican Mafia does. They, yeah. Uh, they, they alert people and stuff like that. Yeah. The uh, LAPD had no idea that they went to Tijuana. Oh, wow. Zero idea. It so was they could have. Until the girlfriend complete... put it on a PA system. Yeah, exactly. It was a complete fluke that they got this domestic call. That's hilarious. And they were like, wait, they're down there. All right, let's go get them. Mm -hmm. So stupid. You know, they were Ridiculous. they were so close to not getting caught. Yeah. So they question the Mexican authorities and they get the guys. They bring them back to L.A. They impound the car. The guys come back to North Hollywood Station and and they get, start getting questioned. And what they would do back, I mean, they probably still do it now, but they came out with a, what's called a six-pack. And that's just literally six pictures of mug shots. And they say to a witness, which one was it? And they, someone will point at that one, and then they'll circle it, and then they make them sign it. So that allows them to get a warrant for the arrest. And, and so sometimes after the fact, they'll do that. But that's for the court proceedings to what's it called, prosecute them. Yes, I prosecute. Yes, I, know, I have no nothing what I'm talking about, but I, <laughs> I, I, I sound like I do, so I'm going to roll with it. Do yeah. you watch Law and Order? Of course, I watch every single Law. And okay, Order. well then you know everything about the law. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> what else do I need then to you're hear? Good. Yeah, I'm good. So they, what they have is this six pack. They throw it in front of Ledesma, and his picture circled. 
A six pack of the of photos. Yeah, oh, I wish said, it like fucking butt yeah, heavy, dude. You said six pack. I'm <laughs> like, oh, are they trying to like get them drunk? Get him, yeah, to talk or something. So the six pack of photos. Yeah, right. I'm trying to get them drunk with the was, truth. Yeah, he was already think of how buzzed. Think of how disappointing though in the interrogation room. The cops about to come in. He's like, all right, I got your six pack. He's like, ooh, and then IPAs? yeah, exactly. And then he comes in with photos. Yeah. yeah. Of him. I, yeah. Circled. That's a, that's a big bummer. Yeah, it's a big bummer. His picture's circled, and there's a little note that says, uh, in Spanish, this is the guy that killed my friend's boyfriend. Mm-hmm. And then it's signed MP, and then an actual signature of MP, which is Martha Puebla. Oh, shit. So wait, so they gave away the witness right there? Gave her away. Holy fuck. I'm, yeah. tar- I'm sorry to jump ahead there, but no, I just put that together in my own uh, huge head here. It's and I- literally <laughs> exactly where we're at. So. That's, that's maddening. Yeah. You know what the craziest part is? Let's hear what? She never said that. What? Never said that. Martha. That wasn't her handwriting. It was forged by the police officers. So they set that whole course of events up. Yes. Holy shit. So they said, we got this girl, Martha. You used to date her because she did used to date Ledesma. Yeah. And he's like, I don't know Martha. And he's like, well, she knows you because she just put you down as the person, as the trigger guy. And has her signature, has Spanish on there. So it's like it all is kind of making sense. And when would she have written this supposed note in um, their In the two line? days that they were in Mexico. Because they did bring her into questioner. And she said, I've never seen any. I didn't see it. I don't know who the I shooter see. is. I, I couldn't. I'm not a witness for you. Like, I can't. Okay. I, I have no idea who it was. I wonder how much this has worked for these guys, these detectives in the past. So they're just like, let's give it a, let's do the number 49. You mm-hmm. know, this is just in their their trick of, t- their list of tools that they use. Yeah. So Ledesma, he was just like, I want a break. I need to call somebody. So he's able to go to the police station's telephone. He gives his buddy a call and pretty much says in Spanish, hey, you know that girl, Martha, that lives, you know, five blocks from me? Killer. And... They have that recorded, but they never went to the telephone. They had that entire tape of him saying, kill this girl, and they never put a stop to it. They never went and checked the records. They said later that it was translated because he was speaking in Spanish, and we just sent the tape out to uh, a company that translates. And it was like poorly translated, so we didn't even know what he was saying. What? Yeah. That is so insane. So he puts the hit out, and during the next few weeks... The Violent Street Boys are going to shooting ranges to find out which gun is the best to use to kill this girl. Which, as a gang, you should probably already know <laughs> if you're out there killing people, what gun's they probably going to be best. They need to test drive all these weapons <laughs> yeah. before they know. I would think that any gun that you can put a bullet into and fire you would think. might work. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Anything bigger than a twenty two maybe would kill a person. Yeah. Yes. So during this time, Martha has no idea that she is looked at as a snitch. Has zero idea because she's already told the police she doesn't know who it was. She didn't see anything. She was in her house hiding. And so she is asked to show up to the trial or the pre-trial and like give a statement on the stand. And obviously gang members are in the crowd watching her. So she goes up. She testifies. And the, the prosecutor says, um, so you know who did this, right? And she goes, no, I don't. And they're like, you didn't see the shooter? She said, I never saw the shooter. I, I can't tell you who it is. And they're like, can you point him out in this courtroom? She goes, no. I have no idea who it was. That's smart. 
Yeah, but it's not even smart. She's telling the truth. No, but also it's not worth it sometimes to uh, to testify or or give people up. Yeah, because the cops aren't going to protect you, so why bother? That's the biggest thing. There are so many people like from the suburbs and stuff that don't understand. Like, why don't like people who are in inner cities like rat people out if they know they did something or testify or whatever? It's like a lot of the times, even if they know who did it, they're not going to do it for that fact that they're not going to get protection. And the cops do not give a fuck. They're just trying to get their clearance rate. They're just trying to get their pension. They don't give a shit about you. And the moment the case is closed, uh, they're on their own for the most part. Oh, absolutely. Some people get lucky with extra This is not the feds. They're not going to help you out. Exactly. Local police aren't going to do shit for you. There was a a Blue Bloods episode. (laughs) Here we go. Centered on that. All right. Finally. Nowhere. (laughs) Finally, the Blue Bloods covered this. Where the witness had to be convinced to give the testimony. Yeah. And was really divided about it and scared. Mm. And he ran out of the police station crying. And it had some kind of happy ending. (laughs) (laughs) Where he didn't actually have to. We just got the cliff notes. Ended up in a rub and tug joint. We got the script notes or whatever. The uh, cliff. Spark notes. The monkey notes. The monkey notes. he didn't have to give this the guy. testimony in the end, <laughs> but yet they nailed the person anyway. So I was, just remember everyone wins. Where Bronx Tale, when uh, you know Collodial, mm-hmm. that's a bit. That was a, kind of the inciting incident of that movie. He just doesn't give up Sonny, and you know it kind of works out for him or doesn't. Who cares? <laughs> <laughs> So Martha testifies, she tells the truth, and I think the gang members of that time were like too little too late. Like they were probably thinking that she was nervous because she knew that she was gonna get taken out, but she had no clue. So after that, this dude goes to a Dodgers game. And uh What dude? <laughs> the dude we're gonna talk about. Okay. Juan Catalan. The protagonist. Yes. So he's the brother of Mario Catalan, who Mario is guilty of actually killing people. So he already knows his brother's like on trial and stuff. And it's Mother's Day coming up. His dad owns a metal fabrication company. So one of their customers, who's like a longtime customer there, theirs is like, hey, man, I got tickets tonight for the Dodgers game. Do you want them? And he was like, yeah, sure. You know, it's Mother's Day. I'll, t- I'll ask my mom to go, even though he knew that she was going to say no. So he's like, I'm just going to get these, do this like gesture to be like, hey, mom, I got you tickets. You want to go? And she was like, nah. So he's like, okay, great. I can go with my friends. I do that. Throughout my life, uh, five times a day, probably. (laughs) Just offer people shit you know they don't want so you can keep it. Yeah, just to make it like, oh, Mark's a nice guy. You know, know, he's looking out for me. Uh, We're learning things about Mark here. So the, the, the day, it was May 12th, 2003, he ends up going to the game with his daughter, his cousin, and one of his best friends. And this was like classic... Braves versus Dodgers. Like, this is the Braves team that was on TNT every day. Uh, I have the lineup here. Chipper Jones. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. This is a stacked Braves crew. Yeah, the lineup is Raphael Furcal at shortstop, Marcus Giles at second base, Gary Sheffield in right field. Hall of Famer. Chipper Jones in left field. Hall of Famer. Andrew Jones in center field. Hall of Famer. No, no, no. (laughs) Uh, He was really good, but I don't think he's going to make it. Robert Fick, uh, Javi Lopez, uh, Vinny Castilla. Anything, Mark? Really drops off at the end. Yeah. (laughs) And Shane Reynolds, who was in like the last two years of his career. Shane Reynolds? Yeah. (laughs) Los Angeles Dodgers. uh, We got current Red Sox coach Alex Cora leading off. Uh, Paul LaDuca. Then we got Sean Green. Fred the Crime Dog, right? Fred the Crime Dog McGriff. Crime Dog. Yeah. His last name's McGriff. Um, Brian Jordan, 
Mike Kincaid, Adrian Beltre at the beginning of his career, uh, Cesar Isturis, and the pitcher is Hideo Nomo, which was like one of my favorite windups yeah. ever uh, when I was a little kid. So it was a, a, a really big game, a huge matchup. There was about 27,000 people in attendance, and it was a great game. They're like classic Braves. This is pre-COVID, too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The Dodgers kind of sucked, uh, so there weren't many people there. That so people stadium, could just go into the stadium yeah, and cough wherever you want to, yeah, not wear a mask. The stadium was about half full, so it's tied 4-4 going into the ninth. Top of the ninth, Eric Gagne comes in to uh, settle the score, get the save. He lets up seven runs. Yikes. <laughs> Yikes. Get him out of there, that bum. So it's 11-4 going into the bottom of the ninth, and the Dodgers unfortunately lose. Okay. Uh huh. Within minutes of the game ending, Martha is murdered. Boom. That, oh, that was that night. Yes. Of that game. Yes. It's the violin boys. Yeah. So everybody goes home. They don't even think about it. They had a good night out. It wasn't until literally 90 days later. It was August 12, 2003. Juan went to work at his father's metal fabrication shop with his wife and child in the car. As soon as he steps out of the car, police surround and arrest him with their guns drawn. So they bring him back to North Hollywood and they're questioning him. Less questioning and more just completely saying, it was you, it was you, it was you. And they kept accusing him. They're like, we know you did it. That You killed uh, a witness in the, the trial of your brother. Like, we know it was you. And he's thinking like, fuck, man, I need a lawyer. So apparently his cousin had worked as like a filing clerk for the courts. And for years he was talking about like this badass lawyer. Just in case you need this crazy <laughs> good lawyer. Yeah. Like, all right, well, hopefully I won't. But uh, yeah. good to hear. So that lawyer ends up being uh, this guy, Todd Melnick. And he's a Los Angeles-based defense attorney. And he is a fucking badass. Anybody who's wrongfully accused of anything should pray that they have a Todd Melnick in their corner. He did so much for this guy. He got paired up with him when he was already detained for like it was a couple months at least. And when he came up to him, he's like, you gotta tell me something. Like, where were you that day? And he kept being like, I don't know. I have no idea. Because just imagine back in 2003 if someone's like, where were you on April 11th? Yeah. right. I don't fucking know. And so they kept hammering that and he just wasn't even thinking of the date. And he finally got on the phone with his girlfriend and was like, I don't know. And she's like, well, May 12th is close to Mother's Day. And you know, like you got those tickets and you probably went to the Dodgers game that week. They looked it up and it was the exact night he went to the Dodgers game with his family. Wow. And I'll say this is before like digital receipts for everything were like a thing, you know, like like right now, like I just check my email and I put in a date. I kind of know what I'm what I did that day. And exactly. Stuff, you know, and just like I could check an evite, you know, if yeah. I had that or something. You would get paper tickets, yeah. and you had to keep those paper tickets. And th so that's what happened. They they literally, Todd was like, to his uh, girlfriend at the time, who I believe is his wife now, he was like, you got to find those tickets. And so she said she couldn't find them anywhere. She was looking through everything. She turned the apartment upside down. And then one day she opened up her dresser drawer. At the very back, there was an envelope that said Dodgers tickets. And three of them were there and had the date stamped on it. And they were like, perfect. We're good now, right? Wrong. Uh-oh. The person they were going up against was this prosecutor called Beth, called, named, I don't know. So Beth Silverstein was a prosecutor who was nicknamed the Sniper <laughs> because every murder trial she went on, on to, she went for the death penalty and she got it. What do you think her percentage was? To get the death penalty? Yeah. I would of say- Of cases that she prosecuted. That she prosecuted? Well, 75%. Well, I was going to break it down by saying, like, so she got the big one. So I would say she went for 
You guys are both close. At that point, it was 100%. (laughs) Wow. This lady was a demon. A goddamn demon. I was going to say that, but I didn't want to ruin your reveal. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, here's a clip of... She doesn't believe him because it took him a while to say, like, oh, I was at the Dodgers game. This is the sniper. um, Silverstein? Yes. Okay. Alibi of the Dodger game. Why didn't he mention it when the police were interviewing him the night that he was arrested? You'd have to ask him that. You know, these guys are telling me that I killed some 16-year-old girl. Like, the date was, like, was irrelevant to me at that point. I asked Juan some details about the game. Before we get there, the clip that we're watching right now, you could see what appears to be his mugshot that's circled, right? Just like the last one where they circled it and said, hey, someone identified you. This is the second time they have lied. This is the second time they, they sat somebody down with a six pack, circled their picture and said, hey, someone told us that this was definitely you. And that's a grainy ass photo, too. It's like you can't really tell much from that yeah no all you can tell is that he's wearing a different kind of shirt that the person on the left is because the person on the left was in a mugshot right this picture is his driver's license picture oh, and the only way they got that is because when he went to the trial for his brother and the murders that they committed when martha pueblo went on the stand they had to give them their ids yeah so they gave him an id they scanned it and they gave a thumbprint and they took that, uh, they put it in the six-pack and said, someone identified your mugshot. Give them nothing. It was literally a complete setup, again, the same way they did it. Oh, my God. Except this time, they didn't say who identified him. Jesus. And His, he's just supposed to believe it and admit to something he didn't do then. Yeah. So now uh, Todd's going to give a little bit of uh, what he was thinking. Juan has a fantastic ability to recall games, plays, details. Because I think they may have been filming something there that day. Been to hundreds of Dodger games and never have I seen them film anything there. And, you know, this particular day, they were there. That's from the Netflix documentary. Yeah, it's from the Netflix documentary, The Long Shot, which is fucking amazing. And everybody should watch it. So when they're trying to like figure everything out and come up with placing him at the Dodgers game, he realizes there was a TV camera crew there. And so Todd goes to the Dodgers media relations for the first time and says like, hey, do you have any footage of things that were happening there that night? And they're trying to help him out. They're like, oh, you know, we have this thing called Dodger Vision. And what that is is essentially just the in-house version of their broadcast. Okay. So they're filming the crowd, but they're starting from pregame ceremonies. So they take all the pregame, all of the entire game, and everything that's happening between every inning with the crowd, like the kiss cam, Mm -hmm. everything like that. They just have raw footage of stuff going on around Dodger Stadium. Exactly. Uh, So that's like four to five hours worth of footage per tape, and they handed over a ton of tapes. So they get B-Real and stuff from that. Is that that right? B-Real. Yeah, that sounds like the guy from Cypress Cypress Hill. Hill, (laughs) Uh, Can I get some of that B-Real? And it's just weed smoke just billowing in. (laughs) Insane in the membrane. (laughs) Insane to the brain. Yeah, all their songs sound the same. So they give him like... Their one song (laughs) that they made called Insane (laughs) in the membrane. They all sound like It's from the ball. (laughs) Yeah. I wasn't aware that they recorded any other song. Nobody's... Gave Nobody me the memo because they were all super high. I have no proof that they have more than that song. <laughs> <laughs> so 
so they, he goes through all this Dodger Vision footage, and it's hours upon hours. Who goes? The, Todd? Todd. Okay. This the, is Melnick. This guy's a fucking buzzsaw. You don't want to fuck with him. Uh, he's the man, dude. He is the man. He's going through all these tapes, four to five hours per tape, and he can't find one anywhere. So he goes through hours of each tape. It's like four to five hours per tape. And he's looking for Juan, and he cannot find him for the life of him. So then he goes to the actual broadcast uh, that was on, you know, whatever, the Fox Sports here and TNT uh, for the Braves. Were you watching that night, you think? Maybe. Mark? I think he's looking for one in a million. Hey! Right okay, is this I think on? we got the episode title. <laughs> and... <laughs> <laughs> and you and were you watching Mark? Um, I could have been. I don't know. I was probably drinking in my parent uh, bedroom. That I, I <laughs> your parents' my, bedroom. <laughs> uh, my parents' bedroom. Mm. In between them, give me a break. <laughs> I a lot of there's a lot of places yeah. you can set up a if party. Mel- yeah, but my, if, my parents' bedroom isn't one if of them. Melnick was here right now. He had a lot of questions about yeah. what what I just said. But, <laughs> yeah. or, Very, or the sniper Silverstein. I don't want to get so strange. I think we just have to move on. Okay. I mean, we could have stayed there for a while talking we about could, All right, well, explain I'm, it. Uh, Actually, un- yes. unpacking Mark's no, traumas. I was trying Mark. to say I was 23 <laughs> living with my parents in oh, okay. Natick, Massachusetts. Because uh, you flunked out of UMass Amherst. Flunked out of UMass Amherst, and I was uh, working at a car dealership as the car lot boy, which is, you know, they don't just pass that around to anyone, that job. Hey, um, lot boy. Hey, lot boy. This is Amy Poehler. She I, hates you. I do. Yeah. Yeah. Get out of here. I did meet Amy Poehler. She did not care for me. I was <laughs> a big fan of her show, UCB, Upright Citizens Brigade, the, on this, Comedy Central. And you ran into her what year? Um, That was like a year before or something. So she was... That was like two, 2002. 2002. So I, yeah. I'm still working there at this point. Yeah, um, you just came at her with the energy like you drink in your parents' bedroom. Yeah. And she wasn't having it. Well, <laughs> she, who's in the wrong there? No, so, <laughs> all right, let's deal I with it. I will say this, though. Around that same time, no. I did deliver a car, a Bentley, hey. to J-Lo and Ben hey. Affleck, hey. who are now back together. So I'd like to thank that, is that all I, you, buddy. in some roundabout way, brought a- them and, back together. And the Dodgers are still a team. The Dodgers are still a team. So aren't the Red Sox. <laughs> that's and, true. But in, in 2002, you in the car lot, that's where you met Amy Poehler? Yes, I met her in the okay, car Okay, and lot, she yeah. was kind of cold. She Cold? <laughs> as cold as Beth Silverstein <laughs> over here. Hello, she's a sniper. Who's a sniper now? <laughs> what did she say? Uh, I well, I, I approached her and I said, "Hey, I know you from your show, uh, UCB." And I listed her a character name, whatever it was, it was like Adair or something. And um, she asked me where the snow tires were because she had a BMW SUV. Okay. Good for her. Mm. Um, it's and a then, fair question, I think. Well, it's a fair question, but then I said, "Hey, I, I, I maybe I was the fanboy and I was the weirdo." And then she asked for my manager. Oh, like you were bothering her? I was bothering her. Maybe wow. she was asking for like your entertainment manager, and you just didn't understand. And then you got you, yelled at. Oh my god! Like I love your show. She's like, oh yeah, who's your manager? And you're like, oh, I'll go fuck myself, huh? All right, you. Oh, you she, missed. Well, I was rep by uh, William Morris at the time, so I shouldn't <laughs> yeah. even said that. You missed out. Possibly, you could have been in Baby Mama. I could have been Baby Mama. I you could have played in, uh, the baby, the baby, <laughs> the baby. Yeah, I the ba- <laughs> I'm, I'm Mark Mulcairn. I'm reading for the baby. And I mean. <laughs> at the, at the very least, Greg Kinnear's character, the yeah. love interest. 
interest. He's in that? Oh, yeah. As the love interest. Really? <laughs> yeah. I thought, I thought that was Dak Shepard. That was a different movie. He's in that, too. Oh. Okay. Uh, Tina Fey's love interest is Greg Kinnear. Oh, and um, okay. Amy Poehler gets Dak Shepard. And then Steve, Steve Martin is there with a ponytail. Wow. Nice. One of so his who's only. Who's you? I got to watch this movie. Perhaps his only movie with a ponytail. If Juan had a ponytail, he probably would have been found in the tapes way sooner. Okay. Wow, what a that segue went, that back to quite, the story. You know what I mean? That didn't quite what a work. sharp segue back, right back to the uh, story at and, hand. And, and to wrap up Mark's story, so then it was a year after that in 2003 when you were drinking at your parents' house. At my no, parents in between house. them. Okay. In between them. And glad we, glad we explored that. Yeah. And we cleared it up. Yeah. All right, Kyle. Uh, yeah, so he's going through the actual broadcast and he does find Juan in there. And he's like, oh my God, great. And let's hear what he had to say about what happened when he found him. I mean, I've watched this years ago, and I'm still shocked hearing this. <laughs> On super slow-mo. Took me an entire day to go through a three-hour game because I could not afford to miss anything. I was able to find Juan sitting in those seats. Wow. But the resolution wasn't high there enough. Is. Resolution was not high enough. You got to remember, this is 2003, so it's still standard definition was running the land in television. Yeah. It, it wasn't until I looked this up, June 12th, 2009, that television switched over to HD as we know it today. I remember that. That's yeah. when Barbara Walters, like, you know, that's when she retired soon after because we had to look at the, the, the definition of her face. Oh, <laughs> no, I'm serious. Hey! Remember, remember she had that fuzzy, like, kind of definition? Yeah. yeah. I think she also. Maybe edit that out. <laughs> <laughs> She's also older. I think she wanted to retire. She okay. could still get it. Okay. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, that's she true. She died three years ago. In two thousand, no, Mark. Anyway, that's she's, twenty years. She's ago. alive and well. Forgot to lay down. Her and Larry King are alive and well. Yeah, <laughs> hanging out together. <laughs> no, she is though. Okay, but yeah, in two thousand three, nothing was HD. Everything was poor quality. It's so widescreen was still hated. Yeah, because it... people didn't have wide TVs or yeah. big TVs. It's crazy because all the songs are still like if you put them on now, they're still like super modern and they didn't have to be like remastered or anything. So like high quality audio was there for all of us to have, but TV just did not. Fuck with it. Well, audio is always a bit easier. Yeah. Hello, hello, hello. It's harder yeah. to control. I didn't even have to do an effect on that one. That was great. <laughs> um, but TV, it took a while to like, even, if you look at old TVs now, it looks like even just a couple of years ago, like the, yeah. how quickly it just started. I think after around that time, like it's just like you would clearly be able to see that that was the, the real person. With, oh, yeah. With, with a good definition. But how did they find out that it actually was? How were they able to confirm it? How were they able to confirm that he was actually at the game? Yeah. I'm glad you asked. Yes, tell us. So Todd had to go back again to the media relations at Dodger Stadium. Buzzsaw. And that's when he was like, all right, listen, he's in one of the tapes. Can't make him out. Your tapes suck. But Juan told me that there was a film crew there that day. Do you have any record of what the production company was there? And they say, uh, we'll get back to you. They go back and they call him up and say, hey, listen, we found this production company. Here's the name of it. Here's their number. And they don't recognize the production company name. It's like some weird 
wacky name. Worldwide Pants or something. <laughs> yeah. They would probably wish it was. So Todd just gives him a call, and the person who picks up says, hello, this is HBO. Whoa. Yeah. So they just found out something significant has happened. Woke up this morning. <laughs> <laughs> And here's Tony a clip. Soprano answers. <laughs> hey, Gabagool, he's dead. And it had some kind of obscure production company name. I didn't recognize it, but it had a phone number. I called it up, and they answered HBO. I get a cold call from a guy. That's, uh, this is Todd Melnick. I'm a, I'm a lawyer. And he tells me this crazy story. He says, well, we don't usually release any pre-production footage. You'll have to wait until it airs. My first thought is, this guy's nuts. And secondly, there's 56,000 people at this game. How could this guy possibly be on camera? I said, I need to find anything. I need to place my client at Dodger Stadium on that night. In the meantime, I talked to Larry, and I'm like, Larry, there's this guy that says, you know, his guy's in jail, and he's a lawyer, and they remember camera crews being there, and they think it's us. So there's this guy named Larry that they have to reach out to to figure out, you know, should we release the footage to these guys before it airs? I hope he's not a curmudgeon. <laughs> Larry Sanders. Uh, yeah, it very well could have been. Uh, but we're about to find out which Larry from no HBO flipping, no they're flipping. talking about. Uh, what's that song? What is that song? Enthusiasm was a comedy that was on HBO. It starred Larry David, the creator of Seinfeld. At the time, the name Larry David didn't ring a bell to me. I had no idea that he was this mega-huge Hollywood star. He's right, of course, in referring to me as a mega-huge star. That's totally accurate about (laughs) (laughs) What it is, actually. So Larry fucking David was the guy that was there running up and down the section that he just happened to be in on the night of a murder he happened to be accused of. Insane. Uh, yeah, that's... <laughs> oh, my... And, and not only just a regular show, it's not like, you know, Modern Family or some something like that. It's Curb Your Enthusiasm, an amazing TV yeah. show like that everyone watches that I know and like in respect. I didn't realize that at this point in 2003, they were already on their fourth season. Yes. Yeah. It was the season where he is doing the producers with yeah. Mel Brooks. Oh, really? This actual episode actually was the first episode I ever saw of Curb Your Enthusiasm because I was always just like, eh, the Seinfeld guy, I don't really give a shit. This episode is called The Carpool Lane. And actually, Alejandro, you said you watched it today. I did. Uh, it, <laughs> you want to explain? Can we backtrack though a little? You said that was the first episode you ever saw of the show. Yeah, isn't that kind of a weird coincidence? I guess so. What are the odds that that was the first episode that you watched? That is crazy. Yeah, you never unpacked that. Not really. Okay. <laughs> Thank I, you, Doctor. Alejandro would be like a great <laughs> prosecutor, but he he asks que- lines of question that don't go anywhere. It's crazy how that happened. Well, huh? you know, it's kind of weird, huh? They do. Okay. They, <laughs> like, like, what's the point? <laughs> they do require the person to answer with something somewhat interesting. Yeah, and you know, Kyle didn't have no, it. I That's did not okay. unpack that. So yeah, this Doctor ep- Hondro in this episode, Larry. It's is, called the carpool lane. You said that. And everybody's <laughs> called the carpool. Here we go, in guys. Case, this is the uh, this is the podcast. In case you all missed it, the episode we're referring to is called the carpool lane. 
I also said a six pack was a series of photos, but you missed that too. Yeah. The episode was called the carpool lane. All right, let's so, calm it down here, guys. In the episode, Larry wants to go to the Dodgers game. He wants good seats, and he knows that his friend Marty Funkhauser has season tickets to the Dodgers game, and they are very good seats up front. Marty Funkhauser being Super Dave. Yeah. Yes. Legend. So funny. Yeah. Recently passed away. Yeah. He's Not as funny. Albert Brooks' brother. Just once. That, that blew my mind. Which, which was, you know, from the opening scene of Twilight Zone, but we could talk about that later. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Among other things Albert Brooks was in. Sure. So Marty Funkhauser has season tickets, and the problem is Marty Funkhauser's father just passed away. Mm-hmm. He's in mourning. And Larry and his manager, Jeff, they both assume that, oh, Marty's going to be too sad to go to the game. And so they are talking with one another and they're, they're like, you think Marty would give up his tickets for us? Mm. And so <laughs> they know a diner he likes to have breakfast at and they accidentally run into him one morning. Yeah. And then Larry brings up the Dodgers game, you know, and then Marty says, oh, I'm still going. And then Larry knows that he would go to the games with his dad. So he says, if there's an open seat, I, you know, you can call me. I, would, I wouldn't mind going with you. And then Marty says, it's spoken for. <laughs> so yeah. Larry and Jeff leave. And so now Larry, he, he's got to find tickets on his own. His wife Cheryl surprises him with a couple of tickets in much worse seats than <laughs> Marty Funkhauser's section. And so last minute... Jeff cancels on him, and so Larry has to go to the game by himself. And on the way to Dodger Stadium, he's in the middle of horrendous traffic. Yeah. And he sees that the carpool lane is really moving along. Yeah. Wide open. Wide yeah. open. Cause, but, but if you go in that on your own, you're fucked because they're right. going to give you a well, really $411 ticket. Is that it? $411? That, it's Somehow. like a, there's a minimum in some places. Sometimes it's 500 sometimes it's 400 but it's always over 400 411 is such a specific uh, amount. It's so weird. So then a hooker comes up to the car. and Sex she's, worker, I think, is the preferred. Okay, no, sex yeah. worker. Played by uh, Kim big-breasted Kim Whitley. Yeah, Kim okay. Whitley. She's hilarious. She's amazing. And so then he puts two and two together. He has an idea. So so he, he invites her to join him because then he can use the carpool lane. Yeah. Bring a hooker to the dog. She's game. a little confused when he doesn't want any sex from her. <laughs> and he, sex worker comes. So the she, car. she insists on joining him for the game. And during the game, uh, he sees where Marty Funkhauser is sitting. Way better seats down below. And Larry then says, oh, I'll be right back to mm -hmm. Kim Whitley. And he gets up yeah. and he sees that no one's sitting next to Funkhauser. It turns out Funkhauser is leaving the seat empty as a tribute to his <laughs> dearly departed dad. <laughs> so they That's the most obnoxious thing I've ever seen. It, I know. <laughs> so Larry, they argue and bicker and Larry goes back to the seat. But so when they're shooting that part. Yeah, exactly. In so the this background. Is, this is where we're at. He, is, Larry's going up and down the steps because he's going from Funkhauser's section to his section. Yes. Juan is in one of those sections we don't know but he, he's he in the may, background he just may be uh we have another clip here i try to walk down the stairs but i will stop you're not gonna let me sit there not even for a minute <laughs> <laughs> i hold them for too long of a duration it's only about maybe six minutes of tape i need to use beta tapes and we're already on tape number five or six and i'm getting disheartened 
same guy who stopped me, like he looked over at me and then he's just like, hey, you know what? Just go ahead. So up until that point, Juan had just left to go with his daughter to buy her candy, have her go to the bathroom, whatever. And as they're coming back, the PA is holding him back saying, hey, dude, you can't go down there. Like our main star is right in this aisle. Which I would be like, all right, fuck this. Like I paid for a seat here. Yeah. I don't care about your product. But if I knew it was Curb, it'd be different. Yeah. But Juan was just like, oh, this is awesome. Like there's TV crews here. Like this is so cool. We might actually be on the show. Like Mm -hmm. if I just hang out here and he walks past me. And then as Larry turns around and comes up, he goes, you know what? Go ahead. Because he thought they were done shooting. Luckily, they Nobody were not. Nobody was being let in. Nice. I probably didn't even know that we were rolling camera. And if I did, I was probably a shitty PA and let them through anyway. <laughs> so what we're seeing now is the actual raw footage. I was a very shitty PA for the record. <laughs> this is Juan and his daughter going back into their seats. Amazing. Woo! Like three seats ahead, and Larry's walking by them right now. Juan has said in interviews after that. literally jumped out of my chair. Literally sprung out of his chair, and there's this gasp. And there he was. Pretty cool. Pretty, pretty, pretty cool. Is that them right there? And they're showing the PA the footage for the first time, and he's tearing up. Unbelievable. We roll it back, confirm, yes, it is him. We keep playing the tape, and he's on two more cassettes. I thought, wow, this is fantastic. I'm going to be able to prove that he was at the game. And they were able to place him at the game. But um, I think we know Beth by this point. The yeah. prosecutor. She's the uh, sniper. The she's, sniper. The sni- she's not having any of it. Why? She's saying to the court that it doesn't matter if he was actually at the game because the murder happened 20 minutes after the game was over. So he had <laughs> plenty of time. Has she ever left a Dodgers game? Exactly my point. You cannot even get out of the gate in 20 minutes, never mind to your car, and then all the way to Sun Valley. You can't even use the bathroom in 20 minutes there. Barely. So the trial still goes on. It's not until they're like, all right, dude, let's go and bring up your cell phone and see where the, like, the tower was pinging you at that point. And so at you know 1020, they looked up his cell phone provider, which is the biggest crime of all, I think. Other than his mustache, which looks like Eugene Levy's eyebrows jumped off off onto his upper lip. It's not for everyone. His cell cell phone provider was Nextel, which is my most hated cell phone company. So annoying. The chirps. Yeah. So fucking obnoxious. I never had to deal with them. Oh, my God. Yeah. All my friends had them, and I wanted to strangle them all. Like, real working men did have them. I'll, I'll give you that. Yeah. Unless you were a construction worker, you didn't need one. That's true. And all these kids in high school during class. <laughs> yeah, because you, you, two, you could two-way with someone. Yes. They let you have them in class at that time. Oh, my God. Have you, have you been to Weymouth, Massachusetts? Weymouth, I, I pronounce I have not. <laughs> yeah, well, good. They're, they're Don't. All, their dads were all construction workers, so they all got these <laughs> uh, Netflix phones. Their dads were all drunks. Yeah, and they're, so. they're doing drywall. <laughs> I just... 
There were some people that had cell phones around that time at my school, but not. it wasn't that much of a thing like where they would be disruptive in class. Oh, my God. I was in the minority. I didn't have a cell phone until my sophomore year of college, which wow. would have been 2006 was the first time I ever got a cell wow. phone. Well, I would use my dad's cell phone oh. at the end of high school. Yeah. And then after that, he's like, why don't you just keep that? And I was like, so awesome. What did Nextel, did, did they provide the data? Or- they did. They provided provided the records and they found out that you know right as the murder was happening he was within one mile of dodger stadium sun valley's 20 miles away from there so he pinged on one of their you know whatever towers exactly so uh we have a clip here of when justice finally prevails on the interview with detective penn it is uh, clearly a one witness ID case. However, the one witness in this case is extremely credible. Yeah, okay. Uh, has no motive That's her. to lie. That's the sniper. That's the sniper. And made a composite drawing with a composite artist that is strikingly similar to the defendant's appearance. Uh, I don't have any in doubt DNA that too. my witness um, attempted to be credible. But he observed this murder on a darkened residential street under obviously the most traumatic of circumstances. He started talking and talking and talking. And I didn't understand one word she said. Todd's sitting to my left and uh, he leans over and then he says, it's over. And I said, what? Like he was so traumatized, he didn't even know what the fuck just. Yeah, happened. that is yeah. over. Is just it could go either way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I like <laughs> that. I'm gonna die now. Yeah, they're firing up the gas chamber. <laughs> oh, you know, shit. I what does that think mean? of that? It's over, Johnny. <laughs> yeah. That is they, terrifying. The the, the the trap doors go beneath him, and he just falls down. <laughs> He's in Dr. Claw's lair. Yeah. So he, oh my God. Well, at least he understood it in the good way. Well, yeah. <laughs> I didn't even think of it the bad way. Like, it's over for you, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> I See did. you later. Oh. Even in the most dire of cases where obviously the defendant loses, where they are guilty and whatnot, their lawyer will never tell them it's over. Like, no. That. Yeah. No, they need say, the checks to keep coming. This court sentenced you to death. The lawyer will be like, We'll get an appeal. Yeah, yeah, that's so true. They yeah. they never say we'll appeal for twenty years. A yeah. lawyer's so abrupt with you. <laughs> so yeah, they, they, yeah, <laughs> so we did all we could, it, it but you're cooked. Yeah, <laughs> this is you know I do not envy you, buddy. Let me know how it works out. Yeah, <laughs> write me. So after everything, he is finally exonerated. He's a free man. He can go home. And you know that the prosecution is just boiling over it because they know they made so many missteps along the way. They have one family with Martha, who is the original witness for the prosecution, who they completely lied about her testimony. Mm. And then this case, which they put Juan in prison for six months, saying you're going to get the death penalty. Him losing weight, losing sleep, like freaking out. He he missed a Christmas. Well, he that missed... part that part sounds okay. The losing weight. <laughs> yeah. That's a new diet. Well, charged with murder and yeah. heading off by Some curb pe- your enthusiasm. <laughs> Some people pay Oprah to the lose weight. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So he's you know it's, no, but also he, he's they not have... in a good way. They don't give it up lightly because they know what's coming next. Yeah. Once you are caught clearly setting two people up. 
and one person gets murdered and the other one's been sitting in prison for six months at the risk of getting killed at with the death penalty, they know that people are going to sue. And it fucks up their clearance rate, too, because now they have this open murder that, that they don't have a suspect for or any prospects of a suspect. Yeah, exactly. So Juan and Todd, who's the goddamn man, um, Todd actually charged Juan like a small fee up front. And as soon as they started like getting the case underway, he was like, you know what? Take the money back. This is pro bono. This is on me. So the whole case he did for free. Wow. So Todd uh, immediately is like, all right, we're going after the LAPD. They sue in a civil case, and they're suing for a lot of money, which deservedly so. A million? Uh, I believe it was o- well over a million that they sued for. One, what, one and a million. One? They were actually awarded $320,000, which is not nearly enough. No. You can't put a dollar amount on the, the suffering. The guy no. But- over a million, easily, yeah, I think. Definitely. Here's uh, Todd on the settlement. What did you think about that uh, compensation, Todd? What was it 320000 or something? Wholly inadequate. Wholly inadequate. Wholly inadequate. What Juan's settlement was in real perspective. And this is amazing. Okay, this is a clip from um, 60 Minutes Australia. And they're talking to Todd, obviously, about the compensation that uh, Juan got, which Todd did not take one dime of. So not only did he do the pro bono case for him, he represented him, got him 320000 and was like, you know what? Keep it. Wow. But twist in the case, Beth, the sniper, the sniper, sued the city of Los Angeles because she was sexually harassed. And this just happened like a couple years ago. Whoa. Wait, a couple years ago she sued? Yes, because she was being sexually harassed in the workplace. There was some lawyer or judge or something that's Unrelated like, to I'd this fuck case. Yeah, yeah unrelated. unrelated to this yeah, case. Yeah, okay. But wait till you hear what her settlement was. Juan was arrested. He underwent the stress of five and a half months knowing that he was going to, going to face the death penalty if he was convicted. The stress of losing his family, being separated from his family for the rest of his life. The prosecutor, just recently I read in the papers, received a settlement of about $700,000 from the district attorney's office for sexual harassment. Why did she get such an enormous settlement for something like that when Juan undergoes the torture and the psychological trauma of being put in that position and he ends up with so little Jeez, yeah crazy not to say anything about sexual harassment and people don't deserve payouts but this woman who's trying to murder everybody some guy makes a pass at her and she gets more than double what Juan made that to me is insane yeah there are a few years apart to be fair well, you, there's like the level of inflation. Oh, you, you think inflation in double. Well, <laughs> I, I actually thought he was going to say she got seven million dollars. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it didn't sound shocking enough to me. To me, yeah, it's still it's more than double what it, you got. I was thinking if you're sitting on death isn't that row, just like three hundred thousand more. Yeah, four hundred. Well, well, round it up. Yeah, more than double what he got for the risk of death on his head for of something. Course, no, he, he should have gotten do. more. Yeah. yeah, he should have gotten way more. Right. It, it, it still, she got more. That's the point. She yeah, got a better yeah. settlement. She got a better settlement, and she's been making 
well over six figures her entire life until that point. It's like she's killing it. Yeah. She's a sniper. She's a fucking sniper, dude. Where is she today? I believe well, she settled the she sexual harassment the, She lawsuit. is no she longer the with ju- the prosecutor's office. She worked at the Chipotle on Melrose, <laughs> yeah. I think. I wish. That's where she should be. She, yeah. she got a good settlement. Why would she work at Chipotle? Yeah. Yeah, that's true. She's living off that 700 grand for the rest of her life. Yeah. That goes quick, though, in, in Los Angeles. I'll it does. She probably invested. She's probably been doing that for a while. She's big in Dogecoin. <laughs> <laughs> lost it all at Dogecoin. Yeah, now she's a bagger at the Ralphs in Sun Valley. Yeah, yeah. Dare I she's say, all over the place. with inflation, that it's almost the same amount of money. 2003 versus, what was it, 2017? Mm-hmm. Something like that. They got the same settlement. Oh, my God. Oh, Devil's my God. Did, yeah, Thank the contrarian. You the oh, no, no. Alejandro the contrarian saying, has entered the room. I'm saying, he's not leaving. He ain't leaving <laughs> anytime would have, soon. <laughs> I'm saying it would have been more shocking. I, but I have one more thing to say. <laughs> If she, if he was like, she got ten million dollars. It's still, I know, I give up. It's too. No, that's much. what I mean, you want the story. To I mean, let's go with it's double. It's yeah. Let's go. With yeah. That. All right. Okay. Uh, so what's really sad is the family of Martha, the original, the girl who was completely set up by the LAPD. Yeah, was murdered. Jesus, for being they, a snitch. For being a snitch, she never she's a state's witness, and she's murdered. Yeah. And she wasn't even a state's witness. They said she was, and she was not. Oh, she didn't sure. see anything. She had nothing to do with it. It happened outside of her apartment, but she didn't know She's who did it. She's the real victim. She is absolutely the case. real victim. Let's find out, A, what happened to her family and how much they got in a settlement when they sued the LAPD. I hope more than 700000 right? I hope and pray that they, they know the truth. But you know what? Another story. So after I get out, fast forward, I'm out. Dude, we got flown to New York. We did Good Morning America. Did like all the the square, all the TV circuits out there. Dude, I'm riding high. You know, went and I went to a first Yankee game. I had never been in New York. I come back. You know, I was working with my pops, and you know, my cousin calls me. I think it was on a Friday, Thursday or Friday. He's like, "Hey, dude, Laker game. You know, come to my house." I go, "All right, cool." As soon as I'm about to leave, another one of my cousin rolls up, and we have a machine shop. So he's like, "Hey, dude, I want to build this uh, speaker box." Can we borrow? Your, can I borrow your shop? And give me the key, and I'll lock up. I go, yeah, dude, cool. So I leave him in. I leave him everything. I, I leave. He calls me up, dude, like an hour. Like, like you can tell in his voice something's wrong. I go, hey, what, what happened? What was wrong? He's like, dude, why didn't you never tell me? I go, tell you what, dude, the mom was outside of our job yelling. This is Martha's mom. For me to come out to get what I deserve. Wow. Yeah, dude, that like I felt like. So that plane, that ride that I had up here, bro, just crashed and burned, bro. And I couldn't believe it. He says that he he had to call the cops. And but the the thing is, I think the lady was too affected by what had happened because he said that she was talking to herself and that she was like hiding behind bushes and like doing all these weird movements. Pobrecita, you know, I just I I feel I feel for for the family, man. You know, they lost the daughter and they, you know, and then. I don't know if you guys heard about I thought you were saying that we were going to hear about the settlement that Martha's family got. This is how affected they were from it also because this is what happened. They tried to sue the LAPD for the dollar, right? And they got a dollar, bro. What? They got one from the LAPD. That's shocking. 700,000 times less than what. No, but that. You put a dollar. enough different for you? If you you put a dollar next to 700,000, that's like. Whoa. Yeah. That's what we did. 
but <laughs> Jesus, it's it's brutal, dude. That is the more nobody got more fucked. crazy thing because they set her up in that way. Yeah, and obviously you always have to be skeptical going into anything regarding police and stuff. I've it's had a that travesty when, when I was a kid. Like you know, I got in stupid stuff when I was a kid, and my dad always brought made me get a lawyer with me if anything came up. Yeah, I was in a lot of trouble. Yeah. What? <laughs> in very when you were a kid, I can't really talk about it. Um, <laughs> no, wow. no, no. I wasn't charged with anything, but like just testifying, <laughs> they try to put you in a box, especially when you're you're just dumb and a kid, and they just try to set you up. Yeah, like, exactly. That's pretty much it. Yeah, you're just a pawn to them. Yeah, it's the, you're a piece that you're they can a way use. Th- to get them to close the fucking case. Yeah, that's all it is. Because they that's how they get bonuses. That's how they move move up in the uh the police department. And yeah. then sometimes you're a, a bishop, but then they still screw you over. <laughs> <laughs> never the king though. They never <laughs> No. Never the king. Never the sniper. Never the sni- Oh, not the sniper. I'm sure she's doing pretty well. I'm sure she's doing great right now. Yeah. So, to follow up on the police officers, the detectives Pinner and Rodriguez. Did you guys think that they were fired after? No, it was known. It's really hard, especially that they in set this up time. two cases. No. You got one sixteen-year-old girl no, murdered. No, because that happens all the time. Sadly, would you be shocked if I told you that they are both still employed down the street at North Hollywood Station? Let's oh go God. get them. We could throw a rock and hit them. <laughs> we we probably should. Yeah, uh, they are still gainfully employed. Not shocked at all. Um, what they did go through. Was um, they got demoted, so they weren't on homicide oh, cases anymore. Bad. Yeah. But they still get a very nice pension, and they're going to do very well. They got. It sounds like they got a better deal. It sounds like they got a great deal. And I mean, Juan had to go through so much, and he actually is asked whether or not he forgives the police officers. We're brought up to think that you know the policemen are there to protect us. So you know, just knowing that they're doing something they shouldn't. I mean that that changes everything what do you think of those two detectives now um you know it took a while to uh forgive them for what they did but i want to say out of all honesty that i do forgive them for what they did because um they've admitted that they set you up Mm -hmm. And my mom told me, you know, forgive them, you know, for what they did. Yo, there's no goddamn way I'm forgiving anyone who does that to me. Anyway, it's for Juan to move on. (laughs) To move Juan. Not for for (laughs) the police officer so that he's not a so they doesn't have to harbor all that. Anger. Oof. Well, they, they, his wife doesn't even like comment because you. I could tell that she's well, like they, fuck these people. They for have life. retribution though. Like those cops, though. Like they. I don't want to be you know on this list by the way, but like they they, <laughs> they have lists of people. I bet that you know they're they're going after sometimes. I'm sure it's hard to keep track of who's going after. Like the the LAPD. I'm sure they you know they remember people. Oh yeah, like you know someone that like kind of did them wrong or they have issues with. I'm sure. I don't know. I don't want to go too deep on the LAPD, but uh, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I've heard they have Listen, gangs within the- If the LAPD comes after us, if anybody who's the subject of a podcast episode we do here, uh, you know I have Todd Melnick on speed dial, by yeah. the way, to represent us. We got Melnick, baby. <laughs> <laughs> Bring on your sniper. We got our Melnick. Yeah. 
And so, uh, I mean, Todd, in one of his interviews with 60 Minutes, um, has a lot of good questions that uh, I think a lot of what ifs if they didn't happen in this case. Had not gotten the Dodger tickets that day. What if he had not taken Melissa to the game? What if Melissa said, I don't want to go, Dad? Um, What if Curb decided to film on a different day? What if the Dodgers had put him, put Larry David in a different section? What if the production assistant didn't allow Juan to walk by? What if the cameras weren't rolling at the time when Juan walked by? What if Melissa hadn't said, Dad, I'm hungry, I want some candy, and they walked up and then back in the 10 minutes they filmed that scene? It's just mind-boggling of all the what-ifs in this case to make this alibi, at least a good portion of the alibi, to, to come to life. It was meant to be, wasn't it? It was absolutely meant to be. And it's a good lesson for other lawyers and judges and prosecutors that you know people can be caught up, innocent people can be caught up in things, and you need to listen to them. I have a what-if for you. What if? What if... Um, Warren Littlefield offered $2 million per episode instead of the $1 million, and Seinfeld decided, all right, that's too much money. I'm going to keep going with Seinfeld. And then they never did a curb oh, enthusiasm. Oh, shit. And they were still doing that in 2003. Wait, so what What year did Seinfeld go off the air? 99? 98. 98. Yeah. Don't tell that to Jerry Seinfeld. Why? Ooh. He'd want you to remember the year he went off the air. Yo, well, there was a <laughs> famous There was a famous interview on uh, Larry King where he's like, "Oh, what did you get canceled?" No, yeah, Larry yeah. King's like, "Did you get canceled?" He's like, "What? Who do? You, who are you?" <laughs> <laughs> he we went like, out and he like one. had a stroke. Yeah, he's yeah. like, "We're the best show in the world." Yeah, I remember that. <laughs> a lot of what ifs. Yeah. yeah. There, there's so much that if one of those things didn't happen, that dude is literally in the electric chair. Yeah. And so Larry has uh, one way to sum it up. Maybe, I don't know, every few years somebody will bring it up or something and I'll tell the story. Maybe I'll tell it at a party how I uh, got a guy off from murder, you know, um, impress a date with it. I I don't know. Oh, it is a good story. I it's love him. He's the best. A fucking amazing story. What an episode to be a great, part of. Man. It's a great show, Curb Your Enthusiasm. Yeah. And it's a great story yeah. that they exonerated somebody. I, I had a friend recently uh, tell a story about Larry David. He actually met him. Yeah. And he went up to him. He's like so nervous. And he goes, I'm your biggest fan. I love you. You're the best. So I'm sure you're tired of hearing that. And he goes, Larry David goes, why would I be tired of hearing that? And he walked off. <laughs> so he knows and he's he a walked legend. off. <laughs> yeah, he, he, that's a great. I'm gonna have a conversation with yeah. you, but <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I don't. I, I'm too big to deal with you. I love you to me. hear it. Goodbye. Bye bye. <laughs> and also that documentary on Netflix. Yes. that you got a lot of the clips from. Long shot. It's very entertaining. Absolutely, yeah. check it out. It is. Uh, it it's very, very well done. The only thing that bothers me about it is I think they picked the wrong title because it, it makes it sound very generic, and some people can't even find the movie. I know, and that's the reason why I wanted to do this episode because I've talked to so many people about this case, and they're like, "I've never heard of it." Yeah, long shot. There's even uh, there a was Seth a Rogen re- movie yes, with, called The Long Shot. Yeah, yeah, that's why I thought it was something. I'm like, it was 2019. Like, so when you, you say Long Shot, shot you, there's other movies named Long Shot. It's a very generic title, and it does not capture yeah. the case. In one of the interviews, Juan actually talks about that, where like uh, some of his cousins called him and like, "Can you fucking believe it? They have a movie called Long Shot." We <laughs> 
gonna go after them too. And he's like, oh, no, nah, man, it's all good. Oh, it's really? all good. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That I jokingly me. said one in a million, but that actually is a Paul Rodriguez movie from from 1992, I believe. Oh yes. shit. Yeah. So they that they might have ran up against that. That maybe the Paul R- Rodriguez estate was like, "Hey man, <laughs> don't fuck with that title." <laughs> that does bother me when movies will use the same title as another movie that's already well established. I know it's the worst. A lot these days, I even hate it when towns do it. Like, there's a Hollywood, Florida. No, there's not. Get the yeah. fucking shit out of yeah. here. And, that is weird. And Crash. There was a Cronenberg oh, yeah. movie about. People that were addicted to people that had sex into, while yeah, getting in car accidents. car accidents. Yeah, which is way different than the horrible Brendan Fraser movie. That's the other one movie. was people that get in car accidents and say racist shit. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's their kink. <laughs> Whatever blows your hair back, like uh, Goodwill Hunting said. So to end this, what title would have been more appropriate for the Netflix documentary? Oof. I think you could do something with a play on curb. Cur- curb your murderism. <laughs> curb your. It's no one in a million, but yeah, it's something. I think one in a million too. I don't know. I just, <laughs> I'm out of uh, stuff to think of right now, Alejandro. We uh, just had a good. Um, we had a good episode of like dense information there. Shit. Shit. Oh, well, so that's how it ends. Yeah, I just think uh, all's well that ends well. Um, Larry David was able to make one of the best episodes of Curb Your Enthusiasm, in my opinion. He came through. Well, th- when you first started watching it. It was the first episode I ever saw. In the last Because my buddy was telling me about it, and he's like, dude, it's not like Seinfeld at all. This guy literally picks up a hooker to go to the Dodgers game in the carpool lane. And I was like, get the fuck out of here. Yeah. And literally saw it. I was like, wow, they really did that. Okay. It's a classic. It is. It's a goddamn classic, and it yeah. saved a dude's life. And uh, yeah, that is episode number. Yeah, we don't know yet, but we'll <laughs> plug that in and post when we feel like. Yeah, it. exactly. Do it in post. Um, thank you guys for listening, and uh, we you. will catch you on the next one. See you later. Goodbye. Bye bye. You have just heard a true Hollywood murder mystery. I have never seen anything like this before. Movies, Broadway, music, television, all of it. A place that manufactures nightmares. Okay, everybody, that's a wrap. Good night. Please drive home carefully and come back again soon. <laughs>